Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Good morning out there, all you short-term shoppers. It's Avery Carl, and I wanted to give you guys a quick reminder about something that I don't think I've done a good enough job of keeping you aware of. So I get a lot of emails from y'all every week, and I love getting emails from you. By the way, I love talking to our listeners, and a lot of them are asking for real estate agent recommendations in different markets. And what I don't think I've done a good job of is making sure that you guys are aware that the short-term show is actually a subsidiary of the short-term shop, which is the largest short-term rental specific real estate team brokered by EXP. I have to say that or I get in trouble in the country. So we have offices in 12 of the top short-term rental markets in the country, and we are here to help you purchase your first, second, third, or 10th short-term rental. And if you buy with us in any of those markets, we have a whole back-end training program where we will teach you everything you need to know about managing your short-term rental remotely. Everything from setting up your Airbnb and VRBO listings to teaching you how to use all the property management software that you'll need, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners and handymen. And we have some awesome Facebook support communities that we want you guys to be a part of where we all share ideas and information about managing our short-term rental, which short-term rentals, which markets are the best, uh, what we're doing next, and all of that really fun stuff. So if you want to be a part of the short-term shop community, if you want to buy a house with us, we really want to help you guys. So head on over to the shorttermshop.com and click schedule a consultation. We'll see you there. If you invest in real estate or manage properties, you need banking that's truly built for your business. Many traditional banks make it difficult to sync banking information across many of the personal finance platforms that we as real estate investors use every day. This is why I recommend Relay. Relay is an online banking and money management platform that's a perfect fit for any real estate business. First, there are no account fees, no overdraft fees, and no minimum balances, which means you get to keep more money in your pocket. Relay also goes above and beyond the banking basics to help you understand precisely what you're earning, spending, and saving. You get up to 20 checking accounts to organize and allocate income for things like day-to-day expenses, investments, or taxes. And if you have multiple investment properties set up as separate business entities, that's no problem. Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access everything from one single login. Best of all, Relay makes your bookkeeping speedy and meticulous by giving you ultra-detailed transaction data and directly syncing it back to QuickBooks Online and Xero. The ability to have so many separate bank accounts and allocation options in my user dashboard has really transformed my personal banking experience. I will never go back. It takes 10 minutes to apply for a Relay account, and you can do it online at RelayFi.com slash the short-term shop. So again, for more information and to open an account, go to RelayFi.com slash the short-term shop. Hey guys, welcome back to the short-term show. Today we have Chuck Kramer, an investor and entrepreneur. And today we're going to talk about investing after retirement. So a lot of our guests talk about, you know, they're maybe 
in the middle of their career or towards the beginning and they want to quit their job. But today we're going to talk about starting investing after you've already retired. So how's it going, Chuck? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, it's going great here. Um, not sunny. It's raining. That's a little mm -hmm. different. But <laughs> uh, yeah. spent 30 years in IT. Um, that's kind of an understatement. Uh, did a lot of different things as a senior IT guy. You have to know a lot about a lot of different kinds of businesses. I was sort of a virtual CIO for hire. Um, gave me a lot of experience and a lot of different things. Also gave me the opportunity to retire early <laughs> at 53 um, without having yet invested in real estate. So, other than that, I've got some grandkids. Uh, my kids are all spread across the country and traveling is my number one passion. Awesome. Yeah, it is. The rain here is really bad, which is why my hair is a mess. Chuck and I live in the same town, by the way, guys. And uh, earlier I was walking into my office and I was trying to walk through the landscaping because the road was kind of flooded. And I was trying to step through the pine straw because it was like looked like an island in the in the water. And I stepped in it and went down and into water up to my ankles. So my socks and shoes are totally a mess and I'm a mess. And um, yeah, it's, it was an interesting start to the day, but let's talk about, so you haven't always lived down here. Um, let's talk about your first short-term rental investment. What made you decide to do that? You've already retired. You've got grandkids. You're spending time with your family. What made you decide to get into short-term rental investing? Well, as I said, my number one passion is travel. Uh, my wife and I wanted to do more of that, but one of the things that was kind of smarting was, Back in 08, when the markets took the big dive, um, I'm sitting there with my retirement account. I was on a 10-day cruise <laughs> with no internet access and lost 28% during that cruise. It was a very expensive cruise. <laughs> um, I decided I didn't want to be in that situation again. So I only invested in things I could monitor frequently and react fast. Well, after a few years, Kind of get tired of that. It becomes another job. And I didn't want that. Real estate uh, seemed to be calling me. And uh, we started with a couple of long-term rentals. And they were working out well. And we have family in Gatlinburg. So we made a trip up there about the time of the fires, the, the big wildfires in 2016, with the idea of investing in long-term rentals. We knew there was a housing shortage. And that was before the fire. <laughs> and... Uh, it met all my criteria for a market. And we started looking at places. And back then, almost everything for sale was a cabin. Um, single fam Regular run-of-the-mill single-family homes were pretty rare on the market. And my agent goes, you know, you can make a lot more money at this as a rental. I said, yeah, but I don't want to get involved with that. Um, you know, uh, But I looked at it, ran the numbers, and I said, he's right. We can do like three times better. Um, and that became our, that cabin, uh, we paid cash for it, became our first rental and it hasn't stopped from there. So. And how many, well, I think you, you've bought and sold several over the years. So, uh, how many cabins did you end up with after that first one? Uh, within a year we had four, uh, market was a little different back then. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Back then cheaper. you could, yeah, yeah. Everything was super cheap. Actually the first cabin I bought had been a long-term rental 
uh, previously. And there was a tenant in it that had to move out um, while we were under contract. And uh, it, it just used to be an entirely different ball game uh, back it, then. Everything was just sitting on the market for like six or seven months. And uh, Julie got one. I think I've mentioned this on the, sh on the show before, but I'm going to say it again. She bought a one bedroom that she had a 100% cash on cash return on back then. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was nuts. There's still deals out there now, but not like there used to be. I mean, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Well, insert well, every real estate quote ever about yesterday being the best time to buy. Yes. Yesterday is always the best time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, how big was that first one that you got? Uh, it was a three bedroom, three bath, three floors, uh, just outside the city of Gatlinburg. Um, didn't have a view, none of that stuff, but the location was really good. You could be in downtown in two to three minutes, depending whether or not you made the light. And uh, you could take the back way to get to the spur to head to Pigeon Forge. And they were they were just finishing up the Rocky Top Sports Complex. And they had really big plans for that in terms of bringing in tournaments and things. So, And that side of town, even today, uh, the east side, um, doesn't have a lot of rentals comparatively. Mm -hmm. You know, if you bring up that map on Verbo or uh, Airbnb, um, they're all concentrated west and north. Uh, and then far east, like out in uh, the Cosby area. So. so how did you finance that first one? Well, we paid cash for that one. I did an early withdrawal from my 401k, structured creatively to avoid too many taxes. Um, I wanted to get in the market quick. Uh, Gatlinburg in that area, it's, it's still a little insular today to some extent but it was much more so then that is if you want to do business with the local bank, you had to be a local um, or assumed to be local. They didn't want to rent money to out of town folks uh, where they wanted to keep the money in the local economy. So I wanted to be part of that local economy before I started hitting the banks up and it worked. Um, our, our next deal is something I still look back on sometimes and shake my head. It was a, uh, um, that's the eight bedroom that we still have. And I actually walked out of closing with a check. My goodness. How did that? So let's hear about that because that sounds like a unicorn. That sounds like a tall tale, big fish story that you would walk out of closing as a buyer with a check. Let, let's hear about that one. Yeah, this is definitely one of those things you read about in, in some gurus get rich in real estate book about, you know, no, fi no money down financing or something. Uh, Met a gentleman, I've done a lot of business with him, who is a retired banker. He just has contacts all over the place. And so I talked to him about it. And he connected me with a bank that uh, uh, was willing to make me a, a loan at a reasonable rate. Um, they were willing to do a, some cross-collateralization with the cabin that I had just purchased. And then the seller only did business on Verbo. She managed it herself. And she was actually doing a really good job. Um, I bought it in October and she had about four months of rentals at about, uh, I think it was around 28,000. And back then, as it is now, it was pretty easy to transfer a Verbo account. So she wrote me a check at closing for the money she already had in hand. I took over the account, uh, walked out of there with a, like I said, a nice check for about 15000 No money. I 
I didn't put any money into it except for maybe 1500 in closing. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Well, I want to talk about really quick the the transferring of the Verbo and the money she already had in hand. So the money she already had in hand, I would imagine was like a deposit that the guests made or like the first payment and they owed more after that. This was back when things were yes. a little bit different, but there's a story I want to get to. So I want you to tell me about um, how that, that happened. So that was like a smooth process. She just gave you what she already had, right? Yeah, she did. And literally just turned the account over to me with the logins and it, you know, in less than an hour of making adjustments to the account, you know, it was all my name, my bank accounts, uh, I got the review history and I sent emails to all of the uh, guests, you know, telling them uh, what happened. And uh, she also sent her own emails so they would know it was legit that they were you know, getting it from both parties. Um, but it was much simpler back then. And that was also when Verbo used to pay you right away when they got the money. Uh, right. Yeah. And I, yeah. I had a client, this was in probably 2018 and uh, we were getting her a FISBO or for sale by owner, for those of y'all not mm -hmm. familiar with the term. And the seller was really insistent that she take on the future bookings. And she was like, I just don't want to do that. Like, why is it making me do this? And I can't remember exactly. He, he was going to hold back a certain amount of money from each booking. And we were like, no, we don't want to get tied up with you like this. Mm -hmm. Turns out he had, he was trying to force the future owner to take on the future bookings because he'd already spent that deposit money and he didn't have it to transfer. So he'd already spent it all and was just being really, really difficult. And she was willing to go way over asking, which at the time was unheard of because mm -hmm. it wasn't, it, it wasn't the same market that it is now. Uh, she was willing to go way over asking to just get it free and clear, but he couldn't do that because he'd already spent these people's money. He couldn't either transfer that money to the new owner. He couldn't refund it to the guest because he didn't have it. So that was a horror story about, about that. And we ended up moving on to something else. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think in, um, you know, it's, it's possible that I may have ended up running into some of those if I had con you know, continued to just focus on that path. In this case, the seller uh, was already under a uh, supervision of a bank. Uh, they had made some questionable investments elsewhere. And so the bank kind of <laughs> came in and said, OK, we're going to oversee everything so that we can get our money. Um, it wasn't a short sale or anything like that, but it was being watched closely by their institution. So hmm. uh, interesting. And I think local banks are still kind of like that. At least we found, you know, with the commercial stuff we do and the long-term stuff we do that, you know, they want, they basically want you to put a lot of your money into the bank so that they have that to, you know, create a relationship with. And they also don't really want to deal with people who are doing like a one-off. They want to build a relationship. They want to be able to basically loan your money back to you. And, yep. um, that, I think that's still the case today from, from what I found. So if you're going to try and go the local bank route instead of, you know, like a mortgage broker or, or a national mm -hmm. bank or something like that, you really do have to be willing to do the things, the st take the steps that they want you to, to create that, that relationship because they want to see, 
you know, when you're getting a like a DSCR loan or a conventional, you, you show them what they need to see. And that's pretty much the end of it. And it's not very much. But when you're going with a commercial bank, you have to send in a whole personal financial statement that shows all of your businesses and the different streams of income that you have and all of your assets. And then they decide so a lot of times with a committee, they say, OK, mm -hmm. check out Chuck Kramer's uh, personal financial statement. Are we going to loan this guy money? Yes or no? So it's definitely a really different process and you have to make sure that you have the time. You need to get that before you find the deal. I know a lot of podcasts and, and advice is find the deal first and the money will come later. But this is something that, you know, could take a week or two to get approved in some cases. So you want to make sure you have it ready to go before you actually find that deal. Yep. Yep. And, you know, you may even get turned down a couple of times. Uh right. That was back in the day when I took it personally. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, so you did, what was the most amount of cabins that you ever had at a time? Nine. Nine cabins. That's a lot. Yep. So how were you managing these? Well, early on, I started looking for a package. And uh, again, back in 2016, the pickings were slim. Um, you know, get uh, guesty was just barely around. Um, you had your host away and and another product uh, I, I can't recall out of uh, mostly out of Europe. Um, and then, of course, you had the old uh, uh, Expedia um, product, which uh, Escapey, I think it's called. I just didn't find them very useful for me. Uh, and then I stumbled across this owner res uh, and I realized it as an IT guy, <laughs> it could do everything I needed to do and I could see the potential in it. And I was able within a couple of months to get it, everything up and running and fairly automated. So it didn't matter whether I had one or nine, I was spending the same amount of time in terms of reservation management and stuff. Now, and you get down to the, you know, day-to-day -day handyman, cleaners, um, furnishings, that sort of thing. I just had a good local team and my local family helped out a lot. In fact, a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> so were you always self-managing or did you start out with a property manager? Uh, you know, the first two place or the first place I had, uh, not first two, uh, I put with um, Evolve, uh, you know, which isn't exactly a property manager. Uh, and part of that was because I, I really was too busy for a few months. Um, I had already had this other deal on the table. I was going back and forth and I had some other things going on in life at the time. And uh, I thought, okay, let me start it with them. I can easily move it over. Um, and, you know, they did okay the first few months, but I think that's because that was, they were new back then. They threw a lot of attention at new listings. Um, they were a different company also back then. And, but it dropped quickly after about five or six months, the bookings dropped off and I said, I, I need to take this over. And, as I've repeated to many other owners, you know, we doubled our bookings, <laughs> taking it back over um, and did very, very well from there on. Plus, our ratings went up. Uh, with Evolve, we, were, we weren't getting five stars. And one of my theories around that was people didn't have the personal connection to the owner. Um, they're dealing with a big national company. And in some cases, they think that company owns the property. Um, I can see that, so, why you would think that. Yeah. Um, so 
we were very happy when we took it back over and we did that to coincide with closing on the second second place okay. and never look back so what made you decide to go with owner res instead of some of the other platforms well hostfully and uh shoot and I'm, i i don't remember the other european one to start off with the english wasn't that great <laughs> <laughs> um and i was I didn't want to have to spend time not only re, not only writing my own emails and messages to people, but rewriting theirs, you know, and paying top dollar to boot. Um, Escapia was too large and cumbersome and not flexible enough for what I wanted. Um, although at the time it was actually free, uh, as long as you had a Verbo account. So. Uh, but when I looked at owner res, I just saw the possibilities. Uh, and it came preset with all the messages you need to start off with, all the basic stuff. So I could get started within a couple of days and then spend time tuning it to my voice, to the way I want to do business. Uh, it even came with a, uh, a rock solid legal agreement, <laughs> renter agreement. <laughs> so I didn't wow. have to worry about that either. Um, I like the way they handled the money. I could do my own processing. Uh, you know, it, it's not perfect. A few shortcomings here and there. Uh, I know I've looked at their roadmap recently and, uh, some of those will hopefully be going away soon, but, um, what I get out of it, I feel is a lot more than I put into it. That's awesome. I didn't realize they came with a preset rental agreement. That's a big question that I see in like a lot of Facebook forums is mm -hmm. I need a rental agreement. Somebody help me. And uh, nobody wants to answer. That's not an attorney. <laughs> so, right. uh, that's, I actually, we use, guesty or i think we might have just switched to hospitable i don't know some, we switch around depending on what's pissing luke off at the time <laughs> uh, but uh we've never gone to owner res just because it just feels like a lot to learn how to do and but i didn't realize it came with a rental agreement so that's good information that's a good nugget yep well I'm, yeah i was going to offer a piece of advice but i realized i probably shouldn't so <laughs> 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 All right, skip that. So let's talk about so scaling from one to nine. What was your plan there? How are you financing those things? And then let's talk about scaling to other markets because I know you've done that too. Well, um, again, 30 years in IT during the heyday of technology. Um, my retirement account was uh, sufficient to help with a lot of this. And so I had no trouble you know, pulling out the down payments. Um, uh, my colleague, ex-banking industry executive had contacts all over and started connecting me with more local banks. And that was easy to do. Um, in fact, uh, all my financing there has been with local banks. Um, I didn't start commercial? using more, um, the commercial side of some of the local banks, uh, you know, Tennessee state bank, um, uh, Tennessee First, which is now First Horizon, Mountain Commerce Bank, People's Bank, Citizens Bank, uh, Citizens Bank of Georgia. Um, <laughs> and so all small, uh, with the exception of TSB and First Horizon, probably less than six or seven branches. Um, but you're right. They do want you to put some money in. Uh, having operated IT for a couple of banks, uh, including the world's largest credit union, um, you know, I picked up some things about the banking industry and that 
yeah, they want your money, not only to loan it back to you, but they're allowed to loan that out a multiple of that. And it depends on what they're approved by approved for. So every dollar you give them could end up going out as $5 or $10, depending on the ratio that they're permitted. Um, so they're very anxious to increase their deposits. Yeah. Yeah. The banking industry is really fascinating to me. Um, and it wasn't like, it sounded absolutely hideous until like last year and we were having lunch with like uh, the president of one of our banks that we use one, a little local one. And the way that it works is fascinating. Um, it's not, it's not what you, not what I would think anyway. And I'm not going to even try to explain anything because I can't, but uh, it was really interesting just to listen to him talk about like what you just said. And um, mm -hmm. the reason that they liked us for a lot of our long-term stuff is that they have to finance a certain amount in um, certain income level areas. And we checked all their boxes for that. And most people that are using this bank down here are buying in these big luxury areas. So they have to have a certain amount of these other places. So um, they were willing to give us like better rates and better terms on things because we were one of the only people that were buying in those types of areas. So it's, the whole thing's really, really interesting. And um, I don't, I need to have a banker on. I need to have whoever, somebody who owns a bank go, oh, we need you. Agents at the shop.com or info at the shop.com Email us because I want to have you on. I don't know anybody I should have on. But anyway, uh, the banking industry, especially like the small local banking industry, is really fascinating. It is. I may have a contact for you there. We'll talk after the show. <laughs> cool. Sounds good. That would be awesome. So let's talk about, so you used commercial type financing from local banks to scale. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you own in another market, right? Other than the yes. smoking? Yeah, we own here in uh, the Destin area. We've got four properties here. All right. And what made you choose Destin or the Florida Panhandle over other types of markets? Well, to be honest, I was already in Orlando um, and I wasn't terribly impressed with the Orlando market overall. Um, not from my perspective, not the returns that I wanted. Uh, I've heard Luke say he won't look at anything for less than 20% um, return. And I, I agree with that. And actually my number is a little higher <laughs> so, <laughs> because I know if you look hard, you can find it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I checked different markets, um, did my research on it. This is before things kind of went nuts here price wise. So my timing was good. At least I think it was. Um, <laughs> Based on my current value of property, I would say my timing was good. Yeah, and, um, I would say know, so. So we came up, uh, we met with this great local real estate person and their family and uh, visited some properties. And the funny thing is I didn't buy any of those properties, didn't even put an offer in on those. But the next trip, I ended up finding three and put offers in on two of them and ended up buying both. So that's a really good point that a lot of times, especially if you're buying in vacation markets, you may not, especially if it's in the summertime when everything's rented and we're not allowed to go in, it's good to just go and like familiarize yourself with the market, even if you can't get into everything you want to see. And then if there's nothing that you happen to want to offer on on that trip, at least you're familiar so that you know, like, oh, you know, I don't really love that neighborhood. I think I like this area better. So I'm going to wait for something to come up here. It kind of, it definitely helps. And a lot of people they get discouraged if they come to town to any of our towns and look at stuff and don't find anything. Well, it's not a wasted trip. It's a learning, you know, a learning experience of, you know, being able to understand what the local market is like. And then you kind of know 
when something really great pops up, you have that confidence to be able to offer without having to come into town. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I drive by that house on Buddy Street all the time and I'm like, man, that would have been a good one. But yeah, I, I think about that one house, too. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of wacky. It definitely needed some reconfiguration, but it's like, you know, not even a block to the beach. And man, that was a good one. Somebody got it. Yeah. And there were a few others that, you know, I, I think back on and, and living here now, <laughs> I pass by them on occasion. And uh, there was a house that uh, Rush showed me um, at one point. And I really liked it, but I kept telling him, no, I think it's too far from the beach, you know, for what they're asking. And I kept thinking about that. Well, now I drive by there and I go, what was I thinking? I <laughs> that. Yeah, we um, all have those deals. Yeah. And um, you showed me one on uh, on a street that, uh, you know, I was, I was actually you showed me two in the same neighborhood and I was questionable on it. Um, and it wasn't that I didn't like them. It's just something else came up better on that second trip, which was only two weeks later. Mm -hmm. uh, but now I own on that street. So <laughs> yeah. And the, if you miss a deal, there's always another one coming down the road. That's right. And it's, it's difficult to, it, it's easy to lose sight of that sometimes that like, Oh crap, you're like, shoulda, coulda, woulda on one. And then one's always coming down the line. So, yep. well, let's talk about your beach property. So uh, what can you compare and contrast owning a, a more year round mountain market versus like a seasonal beach market? Well, the first thing is that you've got to be good at your cash management. <laughs> um, you know, I, I make a practice to uh, put aside eight months of mortgage money uh, and expense money, you know, for each property. And then we draw from it. And every time we draw from it, put it back if we have it. Um, and I say if we have it, for instance, one of our properties had zero bookings in January, February of this year. Um, but that's what the reserve is for. <laughs> so that helps us a lot. And I, so I don't sweat the, the, the off months, but, um, it, unlike the Smokies, which is a year round market, uh, you really have to do change your marketing during the summer. You could rent a cardboard box on the street corner, as long as you can walk to the beach from it here. But when you start hitting late October, November, December, January, February, and I would even say the first two weeks of March, um, you're fighting, uh, you're, you're no longer in the driver's seat. You know, renters are in the driver's seat and, and you have to approach them differently. They're not, they're not always interested in how close they are to the beach. Um, they want to know how close they are to other things. So you got to adjust your listings. You have to change your tactics. Um, you got to make that decision about, do I go snowbird or do I hold off and, you know, hope to get you know, enough rentals to cover it? Uh, we, uh, this past year, we decided that winter, we're going to try it ourselves. No snowbirds. And despite having one property that had no bookings at all, um, the other properties did well enough to more than cover everything better than we okay. would have done with snowbirds. And again, did you have snowbirds previously? Nope. No, you never had a snow. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm following now. Yeah, we've never wow. done snowbirds either. And we've thought about it. Like when we opened up in uh, Cape Sandblast, we were like, maybe we should do a snowbird because this is kind of new. We're not sure. And we haven't needed to. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 
um, as long as you shift your marketing, you know, it, it's a reminder that this is not a set it and forget it business. Um, even if right. you're in a year round market, you still need to tweak, you know, and you got to get a, an understanding of the flow of bookings. For instance, in the Smokies, when are people looking for um, the, the fall leaf peeper dates? When are they looking for Christmas dates? Um, and maybe make minor adjustments to your title or, or the first couple of lines of your listing to attract those people. Maybe swap in a photo of, you know, a <laughs> leaf change, um, <laughs> you know, a Christmas tree in the living room or, or you know, if you do that sort of thing, um, just something to get their attention. Um, and, you know, the beach isn't any different, but there people are less focused on the holidays here. It's mm -hmm. uh, you just got to figure out what it is that's interesting. You know? Totally agree with that. All right. Well, so we're coming to the end of the show. Lots of great information so far. And we have three questions that we ask everyone at the end of the show. And the first one is, what advice would you give 20-year-old Chuck? <laughs> you know, there's, there was a movie called Frequency where a uh, <laughs> guy was able to talk to himself in the past uh, through a shortwave radio. Um, I remember that this movie. Remi this reminds me of that. And my, my first instinct would be, by Yahoo and Google. <laughs> but, um, the truth is at 20, I had already owned my first house. And uh, um, that was a big leap. And that's something that I, I would go back and say, don't stop at one. <laughs> um, you know, you can do this and point out the long-term aspects of it. Uh, and you're going to hit obstacles. I mean, you will with anything. Nothing's nothing's that simple. But if you look at the real estate market as a whole over the years, it has always ratcheted up. Yeah. I mean, it's it's called a ratchet because it goes up and down. <laughs> but <laughs> right. Um, but it will go up and don't focus as much on the purchase price as you as you focus on your out of the pocket, because your return is based on your out of pocket expense, not the purchase price. Um, and that was Good something advice. that was hard for me to grasp it for some reason at 20 and 21, you know, well, if that's the only thing that's hard for you to grasp at 20 and 21, you're doing better than most of us were. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So second question, uh, along the same lines, but slightly different. What advice would you give a new investor who's getting started today? First thing would be don't overextend. And, you know, Very good advice. it's not just investing. Look at your cash management. Make sure you have reserves. Things can happen that you might never anticipate. COVID, for example. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, or a, an oil rig offshore, <laughs> uh, you know, shutting down the beaches for, you know, eight months. Um, insurance helps with some of that, but you need to be your own insurance. So when you stop and think that you've got, I'm just going to pull numbers out of the air. You've got $300,000 to spend uh, actual cash to put into something. As you're doing your math, figure out what your monthly operational expenses are and put aside at least four to six of that or know where it's going to come from. Uh, I wouldn't advocate necessarily relying on credit cards, but that is an option. But you have to have it. you got to be able to get the money from somewhere. Um, and you know the old rule, Murphy's Law. If you don't have it, you need it. If you have it, you don't need it. <laughs> so. Right. 
Also great advice. And then last question, what is your favorite book that's impacted your mindset? Uh, going way back, uh, Carlton Sheets, No Money Down. Oh, um, nobody said that one yet. Well, it's an old book. <laughs> Some of your guests weren't even born. Um, he, was, he was the real estate guru of the late 80s and 90s. Um, oh, gotcha. And my boss had recommended this book to me and I read it. Uh, and it, what it got me to focus on not only was the fact that your return is based on the money you put into it, not the cost of the house. Because the way you're brought up, it was different. Um, but it also got me focused on optimizing taxes. Because uh, another big piece of that book was this is, you know, this is tax deductible. So when you're spending X dollars, putting it out, you're really only spending a percentage of that because you're going to save it on the, on the tax end of things. Um, and from that day forward, I think about almost every purchase that way. So not just real estate, everything. Um, so I feel like I'm always getting a discount. <laughs> All really great advice. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Y'all, Chuck is not for hire. So unless he says differently, we're not going to give out his contact information. <laughs> He's here uh, solely for education on the platform and he is not available for the um, uh, private uh, what mentorship. That's the word I was looking for. Right. Gotcha. And so, uh, of course, I'm me. in the Facebook groups. <laughs> You know, I'll do my best to answer questions I see there. Although lately my time online has been a little sparse, but that'll change soon. People see more of me. Yep. Chuck's out there being world's greatest granddad. <laughs> that depends <laughs> who you ask. I think of the, of the three, I think you get at least two that would say that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Chuck, thanks so much for coming on. We'll catch you later. Catch you on the Facebook groups. Sure. Thanks, Avery. <laughs>